Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. There's a screening coming up and I don't yeah. think I can make it. I've got something I got to do. They have to realize that we have doctor's appointments. I know. <laughs> Dentist <laughs> appointments. Right. And here appointments. <laughs> the Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Well, hello, everybody, and here we are once again to delve into the ever-changing world of entertainment. I'm Arch Campbell with Lou Katz. Hey, Arch. Our dear friend and enabler and the uh, CEO of the Katz Podcasting System. Yeah, that's me. Big job, big job. <laughs> no bucks, big job. It's, it's, it's quite a combination. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> and uh, this is our Thanksgiving special because uh, things are percolating now and and the turkeys are cooking and <laughs> some of them will be <laughs> at various theaters near you. So this is a guilty pleasure today because two of my favorite film buffs are with me. First, uh, the WTOP radio entertainment editor, film savant, Jason Fraley. Jason. Always. Thanks love for it. having me back. Yeah. I always love coming on. Always a pleasure to have you. And on the other side of the country, my favorite Los Angeles guy, film professor, freelance entertainment writer, Oliver Jones, DC native. Yes. Moved to the big time in LA. <laughs> Oliver, how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Arch. I've been seeing a lot of movies, so I'm really glad that you're, uh, you know, finding me to debrief me here because they're all swimming around in this, you know, angry skull of mine and I need to unload. What, what's the mood in L.A. these days? What's it like out there, seriously? Well, I mean, right now, there are just so many movies playing, and uh, and people are going to see them, right? So it's So we're back to the movies. Last night, I was at a very crowded one of those beautiful two theaters in uh in um westwood to see uh paul thomas anderson's latest movie and it oh, just it felt like old times again man it was wonderful i mean it, it was it really felt good and i got an excellent parking place right in front of the theater it was, it was, it was <laughs> licorice pizza licorice parking yeah. <laughs> yes. i loved going to the movies in westwood what theater were you in Oh, the oh, you know, there's the two big ones, and they both have their marquees done. Uh -huh. uh, one of yeah. them for uh, Licorice Pizza, and the other one for the um, uh, the Ricardo's movie uh, from yeah. Um, yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Uh, and they've done they've done them all up beautifully. They look like um, you know, Macy's Christmas windows. Uh, it it was just uh, glorious for people who like movies and like movie theaters and the idea of being somewhere. It just uh, I felt like I, I wandered into a Capra film. It was it was great. The Fox and the Bruin is what yeah, I remember. Right. Just love those. So, uh, so let me ask both of you, Jason. Let's start with you first. What are you watching? What are you watching on the streaming services? Oh well, uh, yeah, I have a couple movies to talk about in a second. But streaming wise, um, I've been keeping up with with Succession, which um, you know I think we might discuss on a previous podcast. The yeah. man, the the first two seasons I thought were brilliant. This season feels like it's you know it's. You know, the acting's still masterful. The dialogue's still, you know, that firecracker dialogue, you know, with lots of F-offs and stuff. So, like, all the pieces are there, but the 
the glacial pace of major plot points is starting it's starting to make it feel a little bit of you know repetitive to me it's like okay which which, which kid's gonna take over here so um i i still enjoy watching it but i i can sort of i could see maybe some other people starting to bail on it i'm uh i'm kind of i've kind of given up on succession what about you oliver what are you watching just for fun well uh lately um me and the family have been watching the great pottery showdown on hbo um, because, um <laughs> really it turns out it's very entertaining to watch people make pots uh, i never knew if i had known this years ago uh, i would have been hanging out at my local kiln pottery is so fantastic you witness the transformation from clay to something of beauty the nation's finest amateur potters do battle to become the next champion does unchained melody play over <laughs> Yeah, it's even it's even better when ghosts help you, you know. Uh, uh, but no, it's actually a really enjoyable show. Uh, and, really, um, it, it it also it just brings you back to the joy of making things and what it's like to make things. And we do so much digitally now. I mean, I'm a writer, but I I don't touch paper, you know. I, I work on the computer. So just the tactile sense of watching people be proud and creatively expressive with something they do with their hands. I, I find really? it a very satisfying watch. And um and also it's the nice family thing. Now what's this on? HBO Max? HBO Max. Mm -hmm. Wow. The the pottery what, what's pottery showdown arch. Get on <laughs> get on board. Figure it out. Come on. How are you ever gonna make a you know, I you know how am I gonna keep up? How can I keep up with that? This is this is amazing. So, well, I think we've got a lot of movies on our mind. So first, Oliver, you mentioned licorice pizza, which is something I'm very much looking forward to. And I understand those theaters in Westwood are a character in the film. So uh, dive in, well, tell us. The whole about movie it. is just uh, is just a delight. It feels like a sort of kind of dark corners history of a sort of fading Hollywood of, you know, it takes place in um, right around 1973, 74. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and it features characters inspired by uh, Lucille Ball, William Powell, uh, Raul Walsh. Um, and it has, oh, and of course, John Peters, who is played by Bradley Cooper. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands, like the ocean, like beaches. Size sand? No, like stray sand. Sand. In uh, Alana Haim, uh, this might be the best debut of an actor I've seen since Francis McDormand in Blood Simple. Uh, it's that level of revelatory uh, in terms of how natural and uh, she is on screen. It's just a um, wonderfully touching and charming movie uh, that... Uh, will stick with you. It has a very leisurely pace, but at the same time, it kind of fits together like clockwork. It's sort of like the best part of going to the movie where you sort of surrender time, but time kind of is is working in your favor at the same time. Uh, it's just a, um, it's just a delight. It sounds a little bit like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or at least uh, yes. of that. It's it's similar, but it's not so epic. You know, it's more it's more personal. It's a um, it has almost there. There's a little bit of a teen sex comedy kind of a feel to it. You know, it's mm -hmm. it has the pimply sixteen year old virgin uh, hero. Uh, so it has a um, but but yes, they and they certainly do an incredible job like that movie did of recreating the era. 
Um, in terms of the costumes and the sets, that's a that's an expressive glory unto its own. Uh, but it's a really uh, it's a really singular and uh, and special movie. It was inspired by the um, adventures of a guy named uh, Gary Getzman, who is the um, producing partner for um, uh, Tom Hanks uh, in Playtone Pictures, uh, who at the age of um, 15 or 16 uh, left acting and started a waterbed company and then a pinball palace uh, in the Valley. And, uh, and it's about this sort of young hustler played by uh, Cooper Hoffman, the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, um, and he's unlike any kind of other hustler character that we've seen because he's so, he's so, he has a, such a sweetness about him. Uh, the whole movie just has a, um, a tenderness uh, that wow. uh, feels fresh uh, and different from other Paul Thomas Anderson movies. It, it's, there's not that cool reserve that you get mm-hmm. in, um, in Phantom Thread. Yeah. Uh, there's something very uh, warm and huggable about this movie. That's so wow. cool that Paul Thomas Anderson's working with Philip Seymour Hoffman's son because the master, I thought, was just was oh, masterful. And then, yeah. so where, Oliver, where would you, I mean, I'm dying to see it. Where, where would you rank it with PTA's other movies? You know, Boogie Nights, uh, There Will Be Blood, The Master. Like, how? Where would you sort of rank it? It's hard to say. They all kind of stand on their own. They're each they're they're they're, they're separate. I I like you, um, Jason. I'm a big fan of The Master. I can I can watch that movie uh, mm-hmm. over and over again. This one is his most loosey goosey. You know, uh, sort of um, kind of a Altman Nashville feel to it, and it um, so in. Yeah, it's hard to say. Don't make me rank up, Jason. It's too early in the morning. Uh, wait hey, till Altman is- Nashville is the highest praise I can imagine. Talk about a movie that, you know, it fits together when you watch it on repeat viewings. You're seeing different characters showing up in the backgrounds of different. I mean, wow, man, that's high praise. Well, and and is like, this in 70 millimeter? I mean, he likes Yeah, so it was shot in 35 millimeter film. Uh-huh. It just has that texture and feel uh, of a real film movie. And then it's and then it's played. Um, it's playing in Westwood in seventy millimeter. It's just a you know. And if you like old goofy stories about Hollywood, uh, you know, you're it, it's heaven for you. Um, but really, you know, we shouldn't take the focus off of Alana Haim, whose entire family is also in it. Her um her father, her mother, and her two sisters and bandmates uh, are all play her family. It, it's a it's a unique American movie. Um, so I'm getting a vibe of awards season, and uh, this sounds like an awards contender. Uh, Jason, you put me onto a film I watched on Netflix, Passing, which I think is uh, one of the year's most artful and uh, and award award worthy uh, films. Uh, let's launch into Passing. Tell me about passing. Yeah, I thought I thought it was really well done. Um, there's there you mentioned Oscars. I mean, there's a ton mm-hmm. of seems like a ton of black and white movies this Oscar season. You know, the mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix, come on, come on. There's Belfast. Uh, we got the tragedy of Macbeth coming up with Cohen. But I thought of all of them, um, this this is director Rebecca Hall. I think of all of them, you know, she sort of ties that black and white visual approach in the best in terms of because it also fits the black and white theme we're dealing with here. Right, so we have yeah. visuals echoing thematic storyline. So uh, we should tell everyone, you know, it's set, um, you know, it's based on a novel from the Harlem Renaissance time. And I think it's set in the late 1920s. Um, and it follows um, a, a black woman, you know, played by Tessa Thompson, um, who's from Harlem, who travels down into downtown Manhattan and bumps into her childhood friend, played by Ruth Nega, 
um, who's, who's also, you know, an African-American woman, but she's happens to be passing as a white woman living with a white, I think a businessman husband in, you know, downtown uh, to try to, you know, advance her station in life. You know, obviously, I mean, who can blame you? You're not even allowed to vote at that time. So right. it's an interesting juxtaposition where, I mean, I thought Thompson was, was great. She sort of carries the movie like, you know, it, it always her. liked her. Oh yeah, what she was in Creed and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, she it, it, the movie opens with her sort of diverting her eyes and hiding her face under mm -hmm. under the brim of her hat. You know, sort of embarrassed at being in her own skin in a way. Um, with these white retailers downtown, but but I, I mean, Ruth Negga really steals the show. Um, as this you know character, she she almost has sort of like a Gatsby tragic sort of vibe yeah, to her character. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, passing as as the white woman. If I th if there was any doubt that she should have gotten an Oscar nod for for loving a couple years ago, I think this sort of silences that. I think Ruth Negga is fantastic in this. Um, who else? We also get Andre Holland from Moonlight, who was awesome in that diner scene in the third act of Moonlight. Mm -hmm. Here he's the he's the doctor husband in in a Harlem brownstone. I'm glad that they they did that. He's you know a, a well off doctor in a brownstone rather than you know making her from the slums and the other one from you know that would have been too cliche. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the it pacing was great and the so ending good. was shocking. <laughs> it just looks so good. Just the photography, the black and white photography is a character in, a, in and of itself, I think, and certainly speaks to the theme of the movie. I was just, just blown away by it. Agreed. And the way, and, and in addition to the black and white photography, the way Hall sort of Rebecca Hall moves the camera too, like we're, mm. we're in, you know, when, when the two characters first meet, um, we're, we're in Tessa Thompson's POV and we're sort of panning from table to table at this hotel bar and yeah, she yeah. passes Ruth Nega, not even thinking. And then the camera whips uh -huh. back, I guess, mm -hmm. like a, the proverbial double take and realizes, passes. oh, wow, yeah. that, that is, that is someone <laughs> passing as a white woman. So yeah, the camera work so, and, and the ending shocking. It won't be, I guess it won't be for everybody. It's pretty heavy, but I, I admired sort of the ambiguity, ambiguity of the shocking ending like you could kind of play it back and say yeah i won't spoil anything but <laughs> you, yeah. could, you could you could dissect that final image for a while are you hearing much about that in la oliver well the film had a big push coming out of sundance i saw it uh during the uh mm -hmm. during sundance and um i was a little less taken by it at the time i haven't rewatched it uh and i i hope that mm -hmm. um i hope that my opinion has uh, has changed about it i felt I just didn't quite get into the emotionality of the story in the way that I wanted to. But again, you know, it's always weird when you see movies at film festivals because you see so many. Right. Uh, yeah. And, um, and sometimes they they tend to you know run together or don't have the impact that they should. But of course, I'm that's just thinking the fact that. that it was on Netflix and that it's a streamer kind of plays to the move. And and incidentally. She goes to the old-fashioned more square ratio, and you're watching that on uh, Netflix instead of at the Fox Theater in uh, Westwood, uh, and and I think that that actually uh, uh, helps it. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how these types of traditional independent films, you know, that you would that classically would be picked up by a, a Miramax at uh, at Sundance, are going to play on these streamers where people are not necessarily used to those kinds of movies. And that's not necessarily what their palette is, right? When you turn on Netflix. Right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they're up for more challenging fare like that. What are you both hearing about award season? Where, where are we with, uh, you know, the coming award season? What are the movies we'll be hearing about? 
Well, uh, Jason mentioned one of the, the, the big ones that has a lot of um, sort of betting odds on it right now, which is uh, Belfast, um, yeah. Yeah. directed by uh, Kenneth Branagh, which I saw. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I, I don't I don't mean to be the storm cloud of today's podcast, <laughs> but I, I, I was less taken with it than some of my fellow uh, critics were. But that film won the Audience Award at the Toronto Film Festival, mm -hmm. which has been known to be a sort of a predictor uh, of um, of best Oscar winner. I think it's won four or five of the last uh, of, of the last few. That's one that everyone has its eyes on. Again, another luscious black and white uh, memory piece. Dina uh, and, and I wandered into the matinee yesterday at Landmark, and there were six other people. I, I'm starting to, to venture out to matinees. And uh, and at first, I found Belfast. I, I had a little trouble getting into the dialect, into the brogue. You know, the, it's Belfast, it's Ireland. Uh, there's, a, there's a thick brogue over it. And it took me a while to get into it. And then once I got into it, uh, they they hit me where it hurts on, uh, you know, growing up and leaving a place and the things you leave behind. And and uh, it's it's a lovely movie. Has anyone ever imagined their parents as hotter or sexier than the parents in that movie? <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone has a memory of their parents being like, my God, my, my, you know, my mom and dad were stone cold foxes, you know. <laughs> the, uh, the kid in Belfast is quite good. And I want to mention Jamie Dornan, who has, uh, has managed to outgrow the Fifty Shades of Grey films that he did. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, suddenly I could see him and watch him in a role and not think of, well, you know, well, <laughs> where's your, where's your safe room? And <laughs> what have you got <laughs> locked up in the closet? You know, I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying, I like well, him. Congratulations on that arch. <laughs> <laughs> Big accomplishment. Well, thank you. Thank but, you. Yeah. Now that I guess shades of gray have become the black and white, uh, stark image, but, um, <laughs> That's it. This is another one I, I am dying to see Belfast. Um, does it, would you, in terms of reading like the tea leaves of it, it sort of seems like, like the, you know, the, you know, the Alfonso Cuaron, um, uh, Roma, Roma. but, yeah. but infused with the more sentimentality that might allow it to mm -hmm. possibly win the day best picture. You know, the Academy seems to, to like sort of that blend. Is that what it sort of is? Well, it's funny um, you mentioned that, Jason, because because Roma was like an experiment in empathy, right? If you imagine your childhood where you were a minor character in it, where where you didn't even hardly show up, right? And you imagined right. it from someone that you pretty much ignored at the time. This is the opposite of that. The the kid is the center of this world, and and like uh, there, there's not a lot of concern. Like for example, he has an older brother in the movie. And you don't really learn what what it's like for him to be going through all of this, right? You're like, like there there seems to me, you might be right. It might be more appealing to voters, but as far as a, an emotive um, experience and as an experiment, as a memory experiment, uh, and melding uh, luscious filmmaking with uh, with childhood memories, it was a much less bold picture and and less exciting for me. Several of the scenes are are shot at nine year old eye level. Ah. Right. You know, so you're you're looking at it through the eyes of a nine year old. Anybody see Spencer? Yes, yes, of course. 
Spencer. <laughs> okay, I'll just say it. I thought it stunk. <laughs> I hated it. I mean, I thought she looked at Kristen Stewart as uh, Princess Diana. And oh, she's so upset. And oh, she she got the same pearls as Charles' mistress. And oh, those royals. And oh, you know, that struck me as the kind of movie that uh, people get uh, award nominations. And people say, oh, she's going to win Best Actress. And they go and see it. And they come out thinking the Oscars are out of their mind. I hate award shows. I just, I hated it. Well, I don't and- know what you thought, uh, Oliver, <laughs> but I I am so glad to hear you say that, Arch, because <laughs> I, I, I've been feeling like, you know, the, the contrarian on this, at least in, really? among critics, because, you know, it's uh-huh. getting all this buzz for Kristen Stewart's the front runner as best actress. And, and you know, I can sort of see why. It's, she was good. Yeah, it's it's sort of pushed her beyond. I mean, let's face it. If you told me in two thousand nine that the actors from Twilight would be Princess Diana and Bruce Wayne, uh, come because <laughs> Pattinson's going to be in the Batman. But, right. Yeah. But but man, I just I I I found that it's. I mean, she's good, but I found it sort of a bit showy. Like I was always aware it's... I was watching her, and the, it was almost it was almost hard to hear her whispering in that fast paced British accent. It was so it was almost like I can't hear what you're saying. I can't. Hear what you're saying. <laughs> And um, I know there's a reason for it. You know, there's a, a sign in the kitchen that says, keep the noise down, they can hear you, yeah, which becomes yeah, this whole yeah. uh, Pablo Lorraine, the director. It's this whole conspiracy thing of the, you know, the royal are, are always watching. We mix in some really nightmarish Anne Boleyn, um, macabre, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. nightmare stuff. Um, so there's a lot to admire from like a directing standpoint from Lorraine. Like he is masterful of that. And I, I actually, when Jackie came out, I thought it was something close to a, a masterpiece. I thought it was great. But as like its own, it's starting to wear thin for me as its own little subgenre of like how many tales of these famous wives right. descending into madness do we need, especially told by the same male she's, director, the same male. She's gay. just so unsympathetic. It's just, you know, it's just like, why am I sitting here? And I we we wandered into a matinee to see that. So I do want to report that you can go to the first show of your local theater and uh, and it's not too crowded. And and, you know, you can you can watch that way. Uh, Oliver, well, I have to be, I have to be the counter view. Here, like, <laughs> Somebody. So, does. so listen, you know, when you're a film critic uh, these days, you go to a lot of haunted house movies, uh, right? There's yeah, a lot of movies yeah. set in one place where, uh, you know, someone is, uh, is played with by spirits and, and by forceful beyond their control. And as a riff on the haunted house movie, I thought this was a very interesting way, uh, a very interesting film. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it as a sort of psychological horror kind of. Uh, and also, um, you know, I was touched by the um, relationship between uh, Diana and her kids and also her trying to sort of reclaim who she was and understand who she was. You know, I remember, Arch, uh, when my mom worked at the D.C. Uh, Public Library and we went to, I think, I think it was the Warner Theater downtown to watch the wedding between Diana and Charles. They showed it in the theater, you know. Um, wow. We wow. All, um, and it yeah. was free. Like anyone could come in. We sat on the balcony and watched the wedding. Uh, and um, so to me, it was uh, it was an interesting sort of reset of a mythology that um, had been so dominant for people for people my age. And the, the they, you know, they can always hear you. The, the them, you know, 
it was a powerful sense uh, that that was almost conveyed in the camera with the sort of misty, steamy camera. Claire Mattoon, who shot Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, uh, yeah. shot that movie, um, and I thought it was just a very interesting looking. Uh, so I, I I liked it. Yeah, it's a very well, fr from that perspective that sort of nightmarish haunted um almost like it was almost it felt more like a hitchcock's rebecca than a straight biopic mm -hmm. you know yeah so like from that perspective how do i say this i feel like my brain is pulling apart because on the one hand <laughs> i have like my film theory training and i'm like oh my gosh uh -huh. there's this yeah. it opens with this dead bird on the road and you know she, and then uh -huh. she the first and last time we see her in this in a car and that's the car crash and oh my gosh King, <laughs> you know, henry the eighth is is portrait is behind uh -huh. her on the wall uh -huh. and oh my god yes so this mise-en-scene genius <laughs> And then the other part of my brain is like, my listeners are going to hate this movie <laughs> because they're, you know, if, if you go in expecting a, a typical biopic, it's not that at all. So yes, it's one of those like disclaimer reviews where I'm like, I, I just, I thought it was a great performance and a tough watch. So I yeah. was not a fan. Now I'm looking forward. There's, uh, I guess there are films we probably haven't seen yet that I am really looking forward to. And one, and Jason, I bet this is on your radar. I just, I can't wait to see the remake of Nightmare Alley. I'm right. just Del so Toro. excited about that. <laughs> uh, any word out there in LA on Nightmare Alley yet? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for it too. Um, and of course, the original is uh, currently playing on Criterion Channel as part of their Fox ah. War series. Uh -huh. uh, so um, if people want to search that out before going to see it, it's one of three movies um, along with West Side Story and Licorice Pizza that they won't be sending out screener links to. So you, yeah. you, see, them, you see it in a movie theater or you don't see it. Um, so uh, that's going to and that's going to be that's been an interesting topic of discussion this year, mm -hmm. because there are still a lot of people who are not willing to risk uh, their health to see a movie. Uh, and that's going to be that that could end up affecting the votes. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see if the studios and the academy starts to crumble on that a bit, because, uh, um, you know, this has become a major issue out here um, about access to films. Right. Uh, and um, and that's that's going to be one. But obviously, those are all directors. Right. That just love the cinema experience. And this is a this is a period where you where you ask yourself, what is a movie? Right. Is a movie the content that you see on a screen, or is it the experience of seeing it in a movie theater and and having the people around you respond or not respond? Uh, so you know, and that's that's an interesting question. Speaking of which, uh, I saw um, Ghostbusters Afterlife and posted my review this morning. <laughs> What'd you think? Uh, well, good for you. <laughs> That's Gentlemen. not on my list of what a seeds. We won't be talking about that one of the words. <laughs> um, why? Why are? The, why did they make that? This uh, film so bubbles with toxic nostalgia. Uh, it is. It is mm. the fuel that sends it. That has no. Um, it is not forward-looking. It is not invested with any of its characters. It's only about how it fits in with Ghostbusters lore. I remember Revelations, and I looked as he opened the sixth seal. There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. Oh, my God. What is happening here? His grandfather was a Ghostbuster. Something was coming, and he knew it. You really feel the absence profoundly of Harold Ramis, because it has none of that playful mocking of authority, that wit, and that humanity. 
that he brought to his scripts and and that was that was sort of part of his soul and part of his character so it was a very sad experience you know uh it was you know if you guys want to check out my pan uh it's a, I, I gave it one out of four stars um okay yeah, where not, tell us your website let's uh, let's uh, uh, this is on observer.com uh, the old new york observer um oh, love and it. uh so yeah i'll uh, um please check it out but it was but don't but not the movie just my review observer.com yeah is that the one where joseph cotton is the uh theater reviewer <laughs> just asking you're fired what's the, <laughs> yeah what's what's the lady gaga movie man i can't that is house of gucci again you yeah. know there's this has been a, a season where we're talking about a lot of actresses which is fun you know wow. and and this is another one i haven't seen it yet but we're gonna get you know similar to how you felt about spencer you know a really chewy lead performance by a woman actor and perhaps a movie that some people will take and some people will leave wow <laughs> well you mentioned something and it it strikes a chord with me there are some films for instance i'm going to go back to passing i think watching that on streaming uh is fine in fact i think it kind of enhances uh the film because it's small and it's black and white and it's the old ratio and it's this quiet mm -hmm. dreamy story and then yet then there's licorice pizza and i i am gonna make an effort to see that in a theater and i'm uh, incidentally i'm going to the there's a press only screening of nightmare alley and i'm gonna go I, it's gonna be my first real adventure to a nighttime I'm looking forward to hearing about that. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, I think so, the chief example of that this year has been Dune, right? Because uh, yeah, uh, that yeah. has had a lot of, um, that has had some momentum actually. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's a movie that probably you won't make it very far if you put it on, uh, on HBO Max, but if you see it mm -hmm. in IMAX, you know, you might be thrilled with it. So that's a movie where um, it is made or, break, or, or made or broken by the, the largeness uh, and the immersiveness of your experience in seeing well, it. Well, does award season matter this year? I think so. <laughs> it's hard to say. So far, Arch, you know, and I hope this changes, I have been a, a little less thrilled uh, with the movies. Uh, I'm really glad I saw one I liked really a, a lot last night in... Um, in um licorice pizza yeah uh, but i think you know in a in, in a year where um movies are starting to be sort of pushed aside in the national conversation i think having a, a week or a couple of weeks where we think about them you know i think could be good for them and could be healthy for us and i also think that there's a possibility that we could have some big pictures like like dune competing uh, that will bring a little bit more energy and attention, you know, that people will be more familiar with. I think what some think? mainstream viewers might tune in this year um, to see, you know, if Will Smith win, finally wins for King Richard. Like, there mm -hmm. might be, I mean, I guess we thought that would be the case with Chadwick Boseman last year, and they botched the hell out of that. But, but yeah, I mean, there could be role, you know, like a Will Smith or a Lady Gaga that brings that brings some mainstream viewers to watch. 
But um, right. in terms of in terms of they of the, are they relevant anymore? I had this interesting thought the other day where you know that Adele had that big concert uh, that primetime special and it, uh-huh. and it and it earned it was I think ten million ten million viewers and mm. every everyone was like oh 10 million viewers the best rating since the oscars arousing success but then a couple months ago you heard oh the oscars only had 10 million viewers there <laughs> no one watches these shows so i think it's funny that i guess context matters on that though because one's a one-off and one's the awards but i, I guess my point is i think the the death of the oscars sometimes is exaggerated i think i think it has i think it has to do more with the splintering of how we watch tv in general i think ratings are down for everything other than other than sports so um but yeah they do have they do have to figure it out because in terms of its own ratings it's fallen a lot but well i we shall see what we shall see i want to mention the french dispatch very quickly that's another film of that i am uh very fond of and probably more fond of than the critics uh it's wes anderson and it's it's kind of a riff on the new yorker magazine and seeing that on a big screen because his frames and his films that they're just like little dire little doll houses i i just loved it and a, particularly a segment with uh, jeffrey wright uh as a food critic who goes on a cops and robbers uh, chase <laughs> and uh, it, it, any thoughts on french dispatch well i guess i'm one of those critics art uh, i was <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a fan. I am a. I do like Wes Anderson. Um, uh, uh, Royal Tannenbaums is an all-timer for me. Yeah, um, yeah. I love that. Uh, one. Uh, this movie did not have the emotional punch to me that his movies need to have in order to work. I sort of felt like it was so precious in its form that nearly the the form sort of swallowed the movie. It was all form and no function. And then um, as for the last segment you talked about, I'm I'm like. I'm sorry, but James Baldwin is not your stock puppet, sir. You know, he's not hes not your toy for your precocious little stage game, you know? I, I, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and, um, and again, I, uh, but I, I'm, I'm generally a fan, you know, I'm not a hater here. Uh, but this movie didn't work for me. Did you see it, Jason? I, I actually have not seen the French Dispatch, but I will. I, I'm you with will. the Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore and all those early ones I loved. I was, I, I was almost, you know, I was heralding this Wes Anderson. I was like, this guy's great. Look at the way he camera moves on this YXZX is kind of a thing. It's very like rigid moves in these dollhouse. But yeah. I've sort of been, th- I've been thawing on him a little lately. I don't know why. I mean, after Grand Budapest was good, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's one of those where I admired, I admired the approach and the form more than the story lately. I guess. Well, it could be because it was one of my outings to a theater and it was yeah. so nice to be in a theater and to watch that again. And I sat there through the entire credits. I was the last one out of the theater. It was just, it was just such a, such a pleasure. Okay. We, we need to take a break for our enabler, Hound Radio and Lou Katz. And then when we come back, uh, I'd like to ask both of you to make some predictions for award season and what we'll be talking about and thinking about. So, uh, Lewis. Thank you, Arch. Hound Radio has its weekly feature, World of Dogs, and we're talking turkey, sort of. Check it out. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. Chances are, if you did lots of cooking for Thanksgiving, you have some leftover ingredients. Why not use them to make some treats for your best friend? 
two traditional sides are great for dogs, pumpkin and sweet potato. Canned pumpkin, just plain pumpkin puree, and cooked pumpkin chunks are a good source of fiber and provide lots of vitamin A as well as iron, potassium, and carotene. For an easy treat, mix a cup of the puree and a cup of plain yogurt and pour it into an ice cube tray or a mold. Pop it in the freezer for 24 hours, unmold it, and voila, pumpkin freeze pops. Sweet potatoes also contain fiber and vitamins B6 and C along with beta carotene and they're low calorie. If you cut a sweet potato in one quarter inch rounds, arrange them in a single layer on a cookie sheet, maybe sprinkle on some garlic powder, and bake them at 250 degrees for two and a half to three hours, flipping them once, you'll end up with a chewy, healthy treat. They'll keep in the fridge for about three weeks. Bon appetit. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. So very quickly, uh, what do we think we'll be talking about as we get into awards season? And it's coming uh, for the month of December, starting. Well, this is a little harder for me to do predictions at the moment because uh, this is, like we said, it's awkward year where we're not getting many screeners and I haven't been back to the, (laughs) and still not going to the theater. So, um, but I do, I think at least reading the tea leaves, I, or my own gut instinct, I feel like this is like a year for maybe like a Belfast or like you said, a licorice pizza. Um, although I'm, I'm, I'm still rooting for the sentimental dark horse, Coda. I loved Coda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good catch. And, and I'm getting a, a vibe that Lady Gaga, uh, may be who we're talking about for best actress instead of, uh, Kristen Stewart. Well, so don't forget, who knows? We have some uh, we have some major artillery coming right around the corner in the form of Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Tonight, tonight, the world is full of light. Uh, so um, that's going to be a, a somewhat of a, of a game changer uh, in terms of how the the conversation is had. So. Uh, I should be seeing that in a couple of weeks, and I'll, I'll let you know um, if it stands up. But from what I understand, it, it uh, there's some really interesting uh, usage of the songs. Uh, you know, they, they use the songs differently from the original picture. Um, and um, so I think that one will be one to contend with in a major way. Yeah, when people say, how dare they remake West Side Story? Well, A, West Side Story <laughs> itself was a Romeo and Juliet take. But also, you know, the the, 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 vo- the voices right. were dubbed over, you know, Marnie yeah. Nixon. I get Tony and Maria yeah. aren't actually them singing. So I don't know how, you know, righteous we should be, holier <laughs> than that we should be. I kind of want to see what Spielberg does with it. <laughs> and I and I think Belfast will, yeah. will be uh, in the conversation. Uh, and uh, And I'm hoping passing will. Does Macbeth have a shot? Yeah, definitely. I think that again, you know, in in the year of the actress, we have we might be seeing Frances McDormand do it again. Uh, and um, and I think that this will this could be the first time that um, uh, you know, she she could be nominated for actor. I mean, for for actress and for picture uh, for two years in a row, uh, mm. and possibly win two years in a row. Well, as they say uh, in the movies, we shall see what we shall see. <laughs> Great to see you guys. Always, always. Thanks so much. Jason Fraley of WTOP, Oliver Jones of uh, Los Angeles and People Magazine. Thanks so much and happy Thanksgiving. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.